and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for The Lighthouse. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host, my wiki. Yes. (laughs) Who's in Uh, charge of the light here, Alex? Jesus, I don't know. (laughs) You're, You're more responsible than I am, so I think you would know what to do with it. I just like, <laughs> I'd be too busy fucking mermaids to really pay attention to it. So, uh, Julio Oliveira has joined me yet again and on our never ending t- travels down the path of the contrary, as we are here today to discuss the 2019 uh, indie darling, The Lighthouse. So Julio, is this the first A24 film to officially enter Contrarian's canon? Uh, that can't be right. I mean, okay, we did Last Black Man in San Francisco over on Patreon. Yes. So that's kind of like the side door. But as far as the, the main feed, uh, could it be? <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like, we've talked about so many of them, but like when that logo flashed on the screen, that's my first note is A24 is like, hold on. Is this the first one we've done Like that we've given the full contrarian treatment to? I don't know. That's the thing. It's getting to the point where we're, you know, over 200 different movies that we've done on here. So it's, uh, it's you know, don't blame us if we don't know off the top of our head. Uh, don't blame us, but but certainly feel free to correct us. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, kissing a fool, obviously. That was- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, uh, if you're a dedicated Contrarians listener and you know, you're, right now you're just shaking your head and going like, no, of course, guys, you covered, I don't know, good time. And they will be like, no, no, we didn't. We just talk about it a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So 2019's 90 percenter starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, The Lighthouse, written and directed uh, by Robert Edgers. I take that back. Directed by Robert Edgers, written by Mr. Robert Edgers and his brother, Max Edgers, uh, as we talked about in our preview video of this uh, loosely based an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished short story, The Lighthouse. So it's so loosely based that they don't credit him because I didn't see his name. I wonder how that would work since it's not an actual published piece. <laughs> just the Wild West. Yeah, exactly. I was just talking about, you know, people that just make movies without any type of permission or anything. It came about because I got a new wrestling figure that has the TCB Elvis logo on the gear. And I was like, there's no fucking way they 
got permission <laughs> to use that. And that was like the thing. There was a wrestler named Scott Steiner back in the day who had the Superman logo on his trunks. And this guy like wrestled on TV and sold merchandise and shit. I remember they were just like, how did you get that okayed by DC? And it was just like, huh? And uh, <laughs> what's DC? Yeah. So for stuff like this and that movie I've talked about before, Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, where it was just these people just made a movie about Karen Carpenter's story and didn't get any permission for music or likeness or anything like that. And then just released it. And that's kind of maybe that's what this is. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe ain't really, you know, he's not going to fight it himself. So, yeah, but Richard Poe or Maximus Poe. I'm trying to think of like who the fucking Gen Z fucker would be that like is related to Edgar Allan Poe, like uh, Harrison Poe, Apple Poe or something like that (laughs) or Apra Poe. (laughs) Anyway, the lighthouse uh came and in the circles myself and julio run in did garner a good amount of hype was nominated for best cinematography at the 92 academy awards and the 73rd british academy film awards in addition to numerous nominations and wins at other award ceremonies many say it's one of the best films of 2019 and one of the best of the decade uh i just love that you you mentioned the circles we run in and then you went on to talk about nominations from Critic circles and the academy. <laughs> oh, it's all one and the same. We qualify at this point. Come on, man. Yeah. We just don't return their calls, but technically. Uh, okay. So it wasn't as good as the Joker, though, because they didn't get nominated for Best Picture like Joker did or Little Women. Ugh. <laughs> Julio had seen this before. Did you see it in the theater? No, no. And uh, I got a lot of uh, flack for that. The true Robert Egger devotees, man, don't ever tell them that you watch his stuff on video or streaming or whatever. It's like 35 millimeter or nothing. And I was like, listen, it was a, it was the run up to the Oscars. And I was just trying to catch up on as many movies that were nominated as possible. I didn't have time to go to the movies to watch The Lighthouse. But there was a screener. So <laughs> I saw the screener and I took it. Like like Pattinson takes that that seagull, that uh, dolly, the little figurine that he ferociously <laughs> jerks off to. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see the merit and qualities of having seen this movie on film in a theater. Fortunately, for the purposes of today, Spectrum Cable has this movie on demand in HD. So that's how I watched it. Julio, how'd you watch this? Oh no, Alex, is this one of those instances where there were no subtitles? Oh no no no, there were subtitles. Okay. I was getting ready to explain the entire movie to you. <laughs> yeah, I would have to postpone the recording yet again just to, you know, read the I would found a fucking copy of the screenplay. Uh I I went the Showtime way, which I I don't have Showtime, but now I have Showtime for this month. Cuz it was like I could pay I think 3.99 to rent it or 9.99 to get Showtime and watch that and also watch a couple other movies that are on Showtime that I want to take care of before my month is up. Hell yeah. Well, the table has been set for at least how Julio and I prepared for this episode. So before we get into it, we'll go ahead and uh, explain what any potential new listeners can expect from this podcast. Uh, Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. A lot of times when it's certified fresh, a lot of times accompanied by that beautiful IP, uh, that nice logo that in the waning days of physical media that... They would slap that on the box and say, see this, fuckers? But what we'll do with those films is uh, explain maybe why the critics, that 
score doesn't accurately reflect the film. Uh, pick apart maybe plot holes, flawed acting, questionable direction, bad score. Uh, you know, just overall, we'll find the issues so you don't have to. And then conversely, we'll find a film on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, usually about 30% and below. And as you would guess, call out that film's positive merit, be it underrated acting, uh, good soundtrack, good score, bold storytelling choices, uh, you know, fearless direction in in the face of, uh, you know, the mundane that has become the film industry, things of that nature, being that the lighthouse is 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes in the first half of the show. We will uh, be picking it apart, dissecting it, bringing it down to size and in an attempt to show that, you know, those Rotten Tomato scores don't always tell the whole story. And also uh, you can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as negative and cynical if you truly set your mind to it as you desire. Uh, that all comprises the first portion, the first half of each episode, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie du jour, they just have to hang around to the second half. That's correct. The second half of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, that's when we get real. The, we forget about the tomato meter score and we just tell each other how we really experience the movie. This one, let's let's get all on the same page. Alex had never seen it before. Like I mentioned, I watched it once on a screener, and uh, that's it. I hadn't really even thought about The Lighthouse since. You know, there's so many movies coming out every year, and then we had a pandemic. And really, did I want to think about two guys stuck together in a small room? No. (laughs) So I just became reacquainted with the movie uh, last night. I'm looking forward to finding out, along with the rest of you, uh, if Alex liked it or not, and if he kept his word and didn't look at my Lighthouse letterbox review from a couple of years ago, he then doesn't know how I feel about it either. Yes, I think it'll be an interesting discussion. Should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed, God who is the surge's roll deign to save our suppliant soul. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. What were the critics saying? have said, continue to say, about Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson's The Lighthouse. The the undercurrent, it's not it's not Texas subtext uh, on every review that's positive, is see it on film. But other than that, we have Brian Eggert from Deep Focus Review, who says, Robert Eggers has established himself as cinema's premier researcher, capable of evoking a historical period with centuries-old vernaculars, period-accurate tactile details, and a visual schema rooted in the past. Alex, how pretentious does this sound? God. <laughs> I was already out, and then he said schema, and I was like, fuck off. <laughs> premier researcher. <laughs> yeah. That, it just sounds like it's homework to watch his movies. I'm not even kidding. Like, that's the type of shit. If I read something like that, I'd be like, well, I don't want to see this. Yep. But yep. Those are like 90% of the reviews I read of Joker were worded like that. Brian Eggert writing about Robert Eggers. Coincidence? I think not. Don't, don't tell him you're my brother. Change the last name. <laughs> Uh, next, Brent McKnight from The Last Thing I See says, The Lighthouse begs for an immediate rewatch to unravel, unpack, and decipher, and it's certainly the kind of film that benefits from multiple viewings. Whether it all coheres or not is a topic I'm sure will be debated, but it's a spectacle to behold. I don't know if you like this movie, Alex. I don't know if you disliked it, but I don't know that an immediate rewatch is something that would come to mind whether I liked it or not. This movie wears you out. Yeah, I agreed with the last part. It's a spectacle. 
I think that's something that you could say no matter how you feel about it one way or the other, but uh, an immediate rewatch. Yeah. That's, it's the type of shit you say after you see like the dark Knight or something, you don't, right. you don't watch this and be like, Oh man, I need to see that mermaid vagina again. <laughs> yeah. This begs for an immediate nap. Maybe a little bit of soul searching. It begs for a fucking Wizard of Oz. You need color back in your life, man. (laughs) Next, Andrew F. Pierce from The Curb says, This is the cinematic equivalent of that seal throwing an octopus at a kayaker. I am the kayaker, the octopus is the lighthouse, and Robert Eggers is the seal throwing it in my face, saying, Here, take this and enjoy it, you heathen. I don't know what he's going on about, but it seems very appropriate given the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Is he talking about a popular YouTube video of a seal throwing an octopus at some dude? I, if he is, I don't know. It's are we old, dude? This is the type of movie that like you just watch it and you just know that like critics, these fuckers are gonna come out of the woodwork. Like the, the art house, <laughs> pretentious, very loquacious uh, reviewers. Like it was B Y O K Y. Like it was <laughs> bring your own fucking sex lube to the theater to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I picked the next uh, quote to close us down, and that's Avril Haley from Movie Bitches, who says, it was interesting. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's the best one you found so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, what else can you say? Oh, well, a lot, actually, because we're about to do a full episode about it. <laughs> but that's it. That's the, the quotes for this half. We'll have some rotten quotes uh, during Real Talk. But uh, I think we're ready for Contrarian's Corner, Alex. And if I tells you to yank out every single nail from every mold and nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and then carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all over again, you'll do it! And by God and by golly, you'll do it, smiling lad, because you like it. You like it because I says you will. All right, so the lighthouse... Premiered at Cannes on May 19th of 2019. They didn't know what they had. <laughs> Summer of 2019. Uh, it was released in the United States on October 18th of the same year. That's probably why I remember it. Because those movies that like premiere in the summer at a film festival and then don't come out till the fall or winter. Always, especially like art movies like this, get like... Because that's the shit of like people know someone that saw it and talked about how good Mm -hmm. it was you know what i mean so uh yeah budget of 11 million dollars box office return of 18.3 on our preview for this Julio and i were discussing about these a24 movies that gain a lot of hype it doesn't necessarily always transfer to the box office return but you know it had the guy from twilight and willem dafoe in it so it was gonna (laughs) make money regardless in 1980s new england Ephraim Winslow serves a contract job as a wiki lighthouse keeper for a month on a small isolated island off the coast under the supervision of the island's longtime keeper, Thomas Wake. In his quarters, Winslow discovers a small scrimshaw of a mermaid and keeps it in his jacket. Wake immediately proves to be very demanding, assigning Winslow increasingly taxing jobs such as emptying chamber pots, painting the lighthouse and carrying heavy kerosene containers up the stairs while forbidding him to access the lantern room. Winslow observes that every evening Wake secretly ascends to the lighthouse and disrobes before the light. (laughs) 
During his stay on the island, Winslow begins to hallucinate sea monsters and logs floating in the sea and masturbates to the mermaid of the Scrimshaw. On the Scrimshaw, excuse me. He also continues to observe Wake's strange rituals and is bothered by the one-eyed gull that Wake tells him not to kill as he believes that gulls are reincarnated sailors and killing one would bring bad luck. One evening while dining, Wake reveals to Winslow that his previous wiki died after losing his sanity, while Winslow reveals that he is a former timberman from Canada seeking a new trade. So, as always, we credit our good friends at Wikipedia for providing a little uh, intro for what we're dealing with here. This is not the usual Wikipedia. It's the Wikipedia for lighthouse attendants and assistants and masters. God bless you. That <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm angry that I didn't think of that. That's fucking gold, dude. <laughs> so we start off with what has become a hallmark of modern cinema, especially uh, for people like myself who have to find what they're looking for in the studio of A24. I I wish it was kind of more grandiose, uh, more vibrant, <laughs> like, you know, the old 20th Century Fox or, you know, how I always geek out about the uh, 80s and 90s era universal signature. I wish it was something... Uh, yeah, how would you describe this the, the A24 logo like faded, right? Yeah, just annoying. It like it's the you know, Chipotle ruined fast food restaurants for everybody. <laughs> like McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell, the architecture and like Pizza Hut and the decor inside fucking ruled and then some dumbass and you know that isn't fat and doesn't eat fast food said to himself, no, we got to make the inside of a restaurant look like a warehouse and that's Chipotle. <laughs> and that's kind of the a 24 title signature is the Chipotle uh, decor of modern cinema. Just have fun with it, man. But you know, like, uh, no, this is cinema, Alex. I remember the one it's at the beginning of um, spring breakers is kind of like very fluorescent and lights coming together and shit. But I mean, we joke about it, and it's already a punchline. Oh, it's an A24 movie. It's, you know, artistic. And then so we go from the A24 logo to a fucking black and white movie. It's, uh, okay, so this is the infamous 4-3 ratio, right? That's what it mm -hmm. is? Known as full screen back in the day. Yeah, this this is like an old TV. Yeah. Um, why Why are we still making movies with this aspect ratio i don't understand like i didn't understand it when i was working at the movie theater and i would do projection and i had to switch from like flat to scope and i'll be like why aren't we all using the cool more rectangular frame why are some filmmakers stuck in the ways of just no, no i just wanted more square like it doesn't look cool i don't know it, how did it look on your tv alex did it look as ridiculous as on mine <laughs> just like all this these black bars on the sides uh, yeah, and you know, I have one of those backlights on my TV that's LED and it, like fades through multiple colors and shit. And I had to turn it off because I was like, "This is distracting," because uh, <laughs> I'm seeing all these bright colors. Meanwhile, it's just two dudes in black and white. You know, that's the type of shit I geek out for with some of my Criterion's, like um, A Night to Remember. Fucking love that movie, black and white classic. But with this, it's like, man, I've seen Spider Man. I've seen Twilight. <laughs> Give me the color. I know that this was shot in 2019. You can't, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. That's, uh, but like, I, I'm curious your opinion on this. Like, when you, as a filmmaker, make this choice, you know, like, you have to know you're going to seem like an asshole to like a percentage of the viewing audience, don't you think? 
Yeah. What are you trying to prove? I mean, you're off to, you're trying to prove that you're not commercial. It's like, we already knew, like, this, this movie, I mean, you could shoot it with the normal ratio, and it would still not be an accessible mainstream product. <laughs> so you didn't really need to go overboard with the with the black and white and the the four three ratio and anything. It's I think that there are times, and you're not gonna like me saying this, but there are times when it works. And one of those is uh, in uh, some of the Wes Anderson movies where he'll play with the ratio because you know he'll have different uh, timelines in the story, and so there's a timeline that is like widescreen, and then. As you keep going further back in time, like the the ratio keeps getting smaller or square and square, and I'm like, okay, at least there I can see that there's a reason, there's a storytelling reason why you have this looking kind of ugly by the time that you get to the final frame. Here, there's no reason. It's it, wouldn't you agree that this this story, this movie plays exactly the same if you shoot it on widescreen? Yeah, absolutely. So why Robert Eggers? Why the full screen? You know, four three ratio, black and white. It just if this movie doesn't hook you, it you're just going to continue to notice how overly gimmicky it is. I'll find some chark in ye lad. Now's the time for dab and chatter. Let's be enjoying it. As Pattinson uh, reports for duty. I just you can tell I've been playing GTA too much because I was just laughing when he's just walking into that kitchen. I'm like, oh, it's his save point. Uh, And then I was just momentarily (laughs) fantasy booking what a Grand Theft Auto starring uh, Robert Pattinson would look like. He'd need the slick back hair. That's for sure. Uh, But the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this movie are just really tone setting, uh, dark and brooding, um, establishing that, you know, this ain't no picnic what they're doing there for work. And it's. um, I mean, it's just that, right? Am I miss? Am I missing any of the subtext, Julio? <laughs> They're just—it's just establishing. They're like the first hour and thirty minutes of this movie are establishing. Yeah, I, I think specifically the first maybe ten, fifteen minutes are just—I'll uh, give this to Eggers. He's kind of letting you know ahead of time what you're in for. He's giving you time to bail. You still have time to go. You know, get up from your seat, go out to the box office, get a refund, go home, or watch another movie. For me, the breaking point, if I'd been watching this in the movie theater, would have been the moment Willem Dafoe starts talking. Mm. The, is that where your heart just kind of sank when you realized that that's the kind of movie you were watching? When Willem Dafoe started talking like, like a cartoon pirate? I, I mean, kind of, like... Because he starts with the toast and Pattinson doesn't toast him back. And he <laughs> calls out that it's bad luck to leave a toast unfinished. And it's just, yeah, he he starts talking and you, you realize what kind of movie this is going to be. And for like their first scene to have like this obvious cliffhanger that's going to pay back off later in the movie. It's like, oh, well, eventually he's going to drink with them and toast him. And I imagine then something's going to go wrong. So, you know, it is what it is. It's almost like when he tells him, don't kill the seagull. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think he's going to kill the seagull, Alex? Uh, and then, like, we hear moans of ecstasy coming from the, the light portal. And I guess my note just says, is Green Goblin having sex with the light? Because it's <laughs> like, it's just what we were saying. He's obviously entranced by it. And it's the forbidden fruit thing. He tells uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, Winslow, you know. It's uh, the drum set from Step Brothers. Like, don't touch it. It's mine. <laughs> uh, there is some good scene and um, m- not mood setting. What's the word I'm looking for? 
there was a part where Pattinson's outside and climbing a ladder to do some of his work and you can see his jacket rippling because of the wind and everything. I could like feel a cold breeze coming off the the water and I wouldn't call that scene setting per se, but it definitely there was a moment in this movie where it put me there, like where they were and I could like feel and smell the, you know, the mung and damp ocean air. And so it was a accidental relatability for one moment. I was just like, all right, I'm with this. Let's see where it's going. And then just then he started pounding off to an action figure. (laughs) Well, before he does that, I thought that you were going to talk about how he's climbing that ladder and then he peeks into Willem Dafoe's room and we get what is supposed to be Dafoe's ass. I mean, I'm sure it's just a double because we don't see his face, but uh, doesn't it look like he's having sex with his mattress? Yeah, I mean, you got to get creative. Even nowadays, like if two dudes were just like stranded like that, you got to get creative. So, and I mean, do what you got to do. But it's... <laughs> I mean, I guess that is the first instance of something sexual happening in the movie, and it does become a through line. So in one way, it makes sense. On the other hand, it never pays off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's never a a moment where uh, Willem Dafoe's sex life really comes to play. There there is sexual tension between them as, as the movie goes on, but... The idea, you know, I thought that because he sees that, I thought that at some point Pattinson was going to confront him about it and be like, why are you jerking off in there <laughs> while I'm doing all this work? But it never happens. Instead, later in the movie, Defoe accuses Pattinson of jerking off all the time instead of working. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I can relate to that. To having co-workers that spend all the time jerking off instead of working? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, just the the mentality of like, what else the hell is he going to do? And uh, scrub the floors. Apparently they need a, a, a lot of scrubbing. But it's never good enough either because fucking Defoe's crazy. That's the whole point of this is nothing ever gets accomplished. I understand the movie is like, oh, we're going to go crazy and, you know, see what happens in the end. Just, you know, not Stockholm syndrome, but cabin fever. That's the phrase I was looking for. But it's like in the interim, you could get some work done, but it doesn't even, there's no progress because <laughs> Defoe's just insane and, you know, uh, a drunkard on par with. Literally, later in the movie, they start making the Freddie Quill special. So it's like (laughs) his brain is just got looking like Swiss cheese from all the shit they're drinking. Do you think that part of the problem why it's hard to relate to what's happening in the movie is because you half the time you can't see what's happening because it's just so dark? Like it's almost (laughs) like Robert Eggers figured, okay, we're shooting a movie that's supposedly set in the 1800s, but that doesn't mean that you have to light it as if you were shooting it in the 1800s. Like, it feels like half the time he was just there with candles, it, it just setting up the, the scene. I know you want us to watch this in movie theaters, but I don't know. Give us some calibration. Like, this movie should come with a... You know those video games where before you start playing, they uh, they allow you to adjust the brightness? Yes. Where they're like, okay, keep moving for, the cursor the to the right. For the optimal experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep moving the the slider to the right until you can barely see the Batman logo. This picture of Willem Dafoe's ass should be barely visible. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what we needed. That's what, what uh, maybe it's only in the Blu-ray, but still. I'm trying to think, we did something recently, a movie about it. Most of it was at night to save costs on like special effects and shit. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but that's kind of like this. It's just Dafoe and Pattinson 
attributed to nine million dollars of the budget. So the other two, they're like, all right, it's got to be in black and white and you can't see shit most of the time. Um, you, 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 man, I'm fixed with. See to your duties. The light is mine. But yeah, we've established the light is secret. And in addition to wanting to know what it is, just the general behavior of Wake is just annoying Robert Pattinson. This is eventually why he turns to the drink because he he needs it to be able to tolerate. Uh, but we see that he just he needs this job because he's just putting up with being you know excoriated by Wake and you know awful working conditions. He falls while he's trying to paint the lighthouse. Uh, I don't want to say that Willem Dafoe drops him, but he definitely the the rig the harness he gave him was not up to snuff. What is the is it Asha the organization that's supposed to like the watchdog organization for making sure the employees are well protected in the workplace. Let me see. OSHA. OSHA. Okay, I was yeah. close. You were. Yeah, with uh, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. There you Workers go. Workers' right to refuse dangerous work. See? Pattinson <laughs> just had fucking Google. He could have avoided all that. He could have just sued uh, the lighthouse company. Defoe would have gotten fired, and he probably could have gotten a nice settlement. But yeah, he gets the Owen Hart trust and just falls not too far, but you know he enough to knock him out, and he wakes up and a seagull's pecking at his uh, his painting clothes, and you know he's just growing more and more frustrated with this seagull. I wonder if he's going to kill it. <laughs> I I've I've never seen the trailer for the lighthouse, but I mean I don't know. A twenty four is kind of careful about the way they craft their trailers more so than your mainstream studio that just spoils everything right there but i gotta tell you if you showed me on the trailer the shot where he kills the seagull i'll be like i have to watch this movie <laughs> i don't care about anything else i want to see what drives robert pattinson to commit this this horrendous act at the same time this would have been a letdown no matter what because it doesn't really it's not like the movie really builds up this big antagonistic relationship between him and the seagull it's like that thing happens and i think there's one other time where he's like carrying something and the seagull won't move out of the way and then the next time that we see it he just kills it horrendously like, like picks it up and just ragdolls it right so it's like wouldn't a, you, i need more build-up for that i think it's the new blood where jason traps one of the campers in a sleeping bag and swings it at a tree there's a lot like that isn't that jason x uh, they pay homage to that in Jason X. Look at oh. you. Good job, man. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the new blood, it's either new blood or Jason lives. But the whole thing was the original scene when they shot it was much longer. But the MPA was like, nope, you're going to get an X rating if you show this. Because it was like he was swinging the bag repeatedly at this tree and like, you know, blood and body parts were falling out of it. So what actually ended up being him in the movie is just like he swings it once and then that's it. Just, you know, jump cut to the next scene. Even if he, if they'd kept the entire sequence, I don't think it would have been as disturbing as watching Robert Pattinson. Hell no. (laughs) You laugh at at Jason doing that. This is just like, Jesus Christ, dude, because it just keeps going and going and going. And it's one of those things. You accomplish your goal within five seconds. You know what I mean? But the scene goes on for like a minute. Yeah. Eggers just... You know, it's a wide shot, so you get to see. It's not even a cutaway or or a close-up of Pattinson so that you can at least kind of remind yourself, oh, no, no, this is just, it's not really happening. It's like 
camera trickery or something. No, it looks like he's really killing a seagull. And that is, I mean, I'm sure I didn't look for it. I'm sure that there's like the usual, no animals were harmed in this movie or whatever, but it doesn't really help with the illusion. You know, it just, it's it's just too disturbing. It, more disturbing than anything else that happens in this movie. And I don't know if that was meant to be the case. You know, it's like they peaked with the seagull in this movie. <laughs> Uh, more and more of Willem Dafoe just fucking rambling like a madman. Like if he was sitting next to you on the bus, you'd get up and change seats very slowly. <laughs> you don't want to set him off. He's met with learning more and more about Winslow, Robert Pattinson. Now he's just a man who is trying to get a fresh start at life. And he researched being a wiki and then working in a lighthouse and a man can make up to a thousand dollars a year, that type of deal. And he's, we just understand that, you know, we don't know why, but he's there to start a new life for himself. When Dafoe tells his story, he, he gives us a little bit of his own backstory about how he uh, he used to have a family and then he lost that family because they they couldn't keep up with the the demands of his life as a as a wiki as as, as a lighthouse master, and it was so weird because I was like I was very aware that this was the moment where I was supposed to feel some sympathy for for this guy for Thomas and. Uh, you know, it's like the the Shrek moment, like the the onion layer, where you just get to see, oh, he's not just an asshole. He actually he had a family. He he's suffered loss. He sacrificed a lot. He talks about being at sea and an accident, messing up his leg, and all that stuff. I couldn't take any of it seriously because of Dafoe's performance. Like I, I don't even know because usually I would tell you that the problem is that they cast an actor that I know from so many movies that I just can't take him seriously as this over-the-top pirate, seafaring, mm-hmm. whatever. But no, because even if it was an unknown, if the performance was the same, I wouldn't be able to buy it anyway. I, you can't take anything he says seriously. And he is 50% of the movie. <laughs> like yeah. Pattinson, at least, you know, he sounds a little bit like a normal person, like a, like a real person. And now, a little bit later in the movie, just becomes y- like... Yes. Uh, <laughs> fuck, what's uh, DDL's name in... Gangs of New York, is it... Bill the Butcher? Yes, 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 yes. That real Cockney accent that comes out later. Did you... Were you feeling sympathy for Willem Dafoe at any point in this movie? No. Was I supposed to have sympathy for anyone in this movie? I don't know. I mean, I I think... What's the point of them telling us these sad stories? (laughs) I mean, then again, what's the point of anything in this movie? Because it's not like one revelation or one confession leads to something happening you know it's more like well this happens and then this happens and then this happens and it's all really weird so it doesn't matter that there's no real connection there's all we notice there's apparently there's a dragon living at the top of the lighthouse <laughs> with multiple tentacles he he comes to actually we, we get our first sighting of whatever the fuck this thing is big squid the, like i mentioned earlier the watchman alien as pattinson you know journeys up to the lighthouse and at first you think that Willem Dafoe is pounding off and his jizz is seeping down but then we see it's just like goo as we get a POV shot you know first person shot of Robert Pattinson and there's this big fucking tentacle swirling around Um, rightfully so terrifying I'm not 100% sure that that was not Willem Dafoe's semen just seeping down. I guess, yeah, I shouldn't immediately write that off just because there is a tentacle that's slimy. <laughs> to quote uh, Melissa McCarthy in the Happy Time Murders, uh, he really needs to get that checked out. <laughs> it's, it's, that's a little too slimy. 
God. Uh, best shot of the film right here, though. After we see the tentacle, we cut to Robert Pattinson and we get a very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper-esque extreme close-up of Robert Pattinson's eye, you know, just wide and terrified. This is the next morning where he viciously kills the the seagull. And then later that night is when he finally gives into the drink. He finally, you know, has a toast. He, you would think ceases the bad luck, but of course, this is where things really start to turn. When we arrived at Bedford Docks, them bloomers coming out in flocks, them pretty girls, they all did say, Here comes Jack with his nine month pay. So they party into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Bob has a really bad day. Okay, what is this that he goes to dump into the ocean and then the wind blows it back on his face? Is that it's like their, it's their piss shit and shit? Yeah. yeah. Rookie mistake. He's just making sure. Yeah. And for a movie that's like so weird and brooding and like keeping you on the edge of your seat mentally, they just do the fucking joke from the Big Lebowski. And he just goes to dump <laughs> this and then it just splashes back in him. You can't help but just go owned. I mean, this is a movie that also resorts more than once to fart jokes with Willem Dafoe. So. It's the Oscar clip. Your goddamn farts. Or goddamn your farts, <laughs> however he says it. On his way back to the cabin in the lighthouse, crawl on me, sink into me, die for me, living dead girl. No, it's a mermaid. I thought it was like a zombie for a minute. but <laughs> Well, they don't reveal that she's a mermaid at first. Yeah, we just see Robert Pattinson groping this woman that's like possibly dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was more disturbing when he was groping a potential cadaver or when it, it was revealed that he was groping a half fish woman? The problem is, you know, I just referenced Roberto Zambarelli's music there. Now I'm going to reference his uh, <laughs> film, House of a Thousand Corpses. It's like the reveal of Dwight getting turned into the merman in that movie, the fish boy, because it's like. Just a normal, you know, upper half of a woman. And then when he gets to like the gills and shit, it's all haphazardly put together and it just looks sloppy. I mean, I get that's the point because everything in this movie is supposed to be gross and icky, as Dr. Chemin says on 30 Rock, because everything about this is disgusting. And that's (laughs) (laughs) that's the situation here with the mermaid. I mean, we get boobs and scales scales he's fondling and then he gets freaked out by it and not so freaked out that he's not gonna jerk off about it later though i mean let's be real here (laughs) once the initial shock wears off the good memories are what remains the problem was i always thought the idea of like having sex with a mermaid was kind of cool and uh, sexy and kind of tawdry and dangerous but then this movie man come on (laughs) uh this ruins it, though, because we just like see Robert Pattinson here and then in a few scenes later, just aggressively attacking this mermaid that's like not enjoying what's happening to her. OK, and- but but see, I don't know if it would have been better if we actually found it uh, erotic in a way. Touche. Because I don't know if there's a way to actually see a human and a mer person having sex, like if there's a way to actually make that sexy, but you can at least try. And Robert Eggers is not trying here. Like Guillermo del Toro, he tried 
Hell yeah. You can you can say that, you know, maybe he succeeded, maybe he didn't, but you can tell that he was he was at least trying to give you something to make you question what turns you on. Mm-hmm. This movie, it makes it like a horror movie, but then Pattinson still goes for it. And that's what makes it kind of weird, you know, and, and, and off-putting. And I just, I can't really connect to anything in his character. It would be a lot more interesting if this was like the... Uh, what do they call them? Sirens, I guess, you know, and like the yeah. epic poems that these like, they're monsters, but they enchant you with their voice and you can't help yourself because you find them attractive. Like here, he's horrified, but he still goes and have sex with her or fantasizes about having sex with her, which it just doesn't, I can't connect to any of that. Nothing tracks. Like I wish that instead he he had shown us that, <laughs> you know, it's going to be disturbing enough if I see an erotic, potentially arousing scene of, Robert Pattinson and a mermaid having sex yeah. because it's still wrong. Like there's something wrong. Like, you know, our minds are going to have trouble wrapping ourselves around it. If you shoot it like a horror movie, well, I don't really have anything challenging me. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it, it's supposed to be grotesque. And the only thing that doesn't make sense is that he still goes for it. So yeah, I, I think that it's just, uh, you know, Robert Eggers had something in his mind and it was not about this being coherent, but instead just, the, the shock value, you know? And it's like, oh, she's a mermaid. Oh, it's just gross. But he's still going to go for it. Here's a close-up of its vagina. <laughs> yes. He's going to masturbate while he's holding the little mermaid doll in one hand. Man, I, I don't think he knows how to jack off because he's just, like, <laughs> in pain and yelling while he's doing it. I mean, once again, he needs to get that checked out because... I mean, he's at least in, like, his mid to late 20s here. You should have your technique down by that point. I mean, if he was, like, 17 or 18, I could buy it, but... Has he washed his hands recently before <laughs> oh, performing? God. <laughs> what kind of infection is Robert Pattinson dealing with down there? It's true. He's definitely a dry guy with that... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his hands are all just, like, calloused because of the all the hard work. All right, Julio. So I'm going to ask you to explain a part of this movie to me. Uh, and I know it's uh, a task. So what happens here with the tender, the person who owns the plot of land? I I tried like paying attention to this. So the idea is that whoever owns the land is going to come in and check on them, but they missed them because then they start talking about being stranded there. Uh, and this leads to, you know, like the the beginning of the end, so to speak. So what what did I miss here? What's going on? All right. So. First, we have to acknowledge that this could all be happening inside Robert Pattinson's head or Willem Dafoe's head or Robert Eggers' head because there is no... I mean, yeah, you're right. From this point on, the the incoherence just increases because there's a lot of things where that happened, but then characters say that they they didn't happen or that they happened differently. And, but at least what they're, what they tell us, what the movie tells us is that they're waiting for their relief. At least that's what I thought, that they were coming not just to check on them, but also to, at least Pattinson was going to leave because he was only supposed to be there for four weeks. And uh, I'm not sure if Dafoe was also supposed to go and somebody would replace him, but they're they're waiting for, you know, them to be checked out and uh, relief to come. And I'm sure they were going to restock their their shelves and all that stuff. And then they get really drunk and then they wake up the next day and... There's a storm coming, the people never show up, and they assume that they must have missed them while they were passed out drunk. And then the rest of the movie happens. 
Okay. But none of this, because things that happen in the movie later make you think that, well, maybe that never happened. And Robert Pattinson got drunk and imagined all this, and he's only been in the island for like a week. Or maybe he's been on the island for like a year. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because he, he does start to fuck with his mind in the sense of like, how long have we been here? Five weeks? Two days? And I'm just, that's when I was like, oh God, is this Fight Club? Yep. Yeah, so. <laughs> Especially because at some point, that's Eggers. See, it's not Defoe fucking with Pattinson. It's Eggers fucking with the audience. And I just don't have the time for that. Because it's not just that we find out in a little bit that Robert Pattinson's name is not really Ephraim Winslow. It's uh, Thomas Howard. Uh, Howard. And Willem Dafoe's character, his first name is Thomas. Why? You know, it's like, okay, so if you're going to have a plot point where it turns out that uh, Pattinson is lying about his name, well, his real name can be Roger, Alex, Julio, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Why would you give him the same name as Willem Dafoe's character except to make things confusing? And this God. is this, the same shit as There Will Be Blood when the guy pretends to be someone else to, like, ingratiate himself to um, Daniel Plainview. When the it's people's just- champ is... Uh, Playing both himself and his twin brother? No, when the guy comes and claims that he's Daniel Plainview's brother. And oh, then, whoa, 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 okay. I can't remember if Daniel kills him or not. And fucking Paul Dano, he was two different people. I'm not getting into this with you right now. <laughs> so they're worried because they're out of food and he talks about emergency rations. I did pop for this. He talks about emergency rations. He's like, we got to go dig him up. And he digs it up and it's just a fucking giant bottle of booze. And so they're just going wild and he starts going into a story about how the previous wiki died. He got gangrene and I came over his leg or his arm, but he said it turned every shade of a peacock's tail. And I was like, that is like one of the using one of the most beautiful animals, you know, on God's green earth to describe something just horrific. Uh, and then they start arguing about food. Robert Pattinson says he wants a bloody rare steak, bloody as hell, as they would say at Jackrabbit Slim's. And um, so he can fuck it. Exactly. He wants to put his <laughs> dick in it. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't know how to how to pleasure himself. I mean, porn wasn't available and shit. And it's like you know, Alex, at your lowest, have you ever thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it in a piece of steak? No, but I also like <laughs> never be you have options like. <laughs> It looks like he's like punching his dick over and over again, like to get off. It's ridiculous. Uh, the good old days. <laughs> well, see, that's a problem. Like, I don't know. Maybe when I was like 15 and all I did was masturbate and watch wrestling. But like nowadays, my fatness has overtaken my horniness. So like to me, <laughs> that would be insulting to the steak. I'm like, man, I could make that in the air fryer and then, you know, make some good sauce and make a really good sandwich out of it. And then my dick's just like. <laughs> it's out it's out of the equation there um but he started your, your dick can take care of the leftovers <laughs> jesus <laughs> this is the moment alex that that line where he when he says he wants to have sex with with the steak that's when i realized that this was it's funny because i we've talked about the kids in the hall uh on the show before and definitely on patreon i i, I went at length about how much i love them and everything but mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that would happen in the kids in the hall skit only it would be funny and it would last you know five minutes ten minutes tops like they're really over the top really crazy wikis having cabin fever and and the kind of things that they would say that that you hear on a 
on your standard kids in the holes uh, skit is stuff like that. Like, I want a steak because I want to fuck it. That's something that Bruce McCullough would, would be like. Steak fucker would be like one of his characters on the show. It doesn't work when you, one, treat it this seriously, two, make it last a hundred minutes, and three, have really recognizable all-star actors playing these characters and saying these lines. It's just, it's too much. Could you? Did you ever at any point take this movie seriously? Uh, I mean, I tried. I did, but it's, <laughs> we said this from the jump. It's so transparent. Like, as soon as you get into it, you're like, okay, just it's a movie that's weird and misleading for the sake of being weird and misleading. Good acting. You know, we're bleeding a little bit into the second half here, but at this part in particular, it's like, this scene is like, God, you're great actors and delivering these lines tremendously, but what you're saying is so dumb. And then this goes into Willem Dafoe, you know, not accepting that Pattinson didn't like his food. He said... You're fond of me lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. And he doesn't. And then he puts like a hex on him. He curses him. C's going to come and take him. Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow. Hark! Hark! He curses him for like 10 minutes. This young mouth with punch and slime to choke ye. Engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with builds and brine and cons- Yeah, it keeps going. Even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is now itself the sea. It does result in a fucking awesome shot of Robert Pattinson, though, just staring up and like a drunken longing. Uh, like pity or jealousy is the word I'm looking for where he's, you know, just again at the bottom of the light tower staring up. Um, The temptations taking hold of him. He ne- he needs to know what the light's all about. He tries to steal the keys away. He's actually going to kill Willem Dafoe in his sleep, but Dafoe wakes up and then farts to kill <laughs> any tension that's in the scene there. <laughs> you can hear the, the laugh track. Yeah. Uh. And then this leads to the chaotic masturbation scene that we were talking about a few minutes ago. I mean, we've seen masturbate more than once, but yeah, this is the epic one. Yeah, where it's like shots of the man he killed, the monster, him fucking the uh, mermaid, all that shit. The scream at the end. Yeah. Because it burns. Fossbender doesn't have shit on him. (laughs) Uh, I, I had this idea that maybe... The reason Pattinson took this role, and maybe the reason that he played the character this way, I don't know how much input he had in the way that the movie was getting made, but uh, it certainly feels like one of the main goals of The Lighthouse is to just demolish the image of Robert Pattinson as a sex symbol. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) all those people that grew up with the Twilight movies and have him at the top of their lists is for like, okay, well, this guy is just sexy equals Pattinson <laughs> and then you watch him in this movie and I would think that most of them came up you know they were not they were not ready for it and they probably once you see it you can't unsee it so how do you reconcile the Robert Pattinson that you have here with the stud from you know Twilight New Moon Eclipse and Breaking Dawn did you walk away well you've seen him in, in good time so you already have a pretty good idea of his full dimensions, but can you imagine like the average moviegoer somehow gets tricked into watching an A24 movie <laughs> comes out change forever? 
I mean, and I love Water for Elephants, but even in that, he's still just like pretty boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Harry yeah, Potter. Harry, this in good time, it's like, all right, you're going to be a fucking grease ball who, who screams upon climax. <laughs> he admits to killing a man. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Breaks the fourth wall for some reason. Just kind of looks at us and, you know, I'm trying to live a new life and Defoe then said, you know, why'd you spill your beans? And they both start losing it. This is where he starts uh, implying or planting the seeds that this could all be in his head. I, I do have written in my notes here, Freddie Quill, because they start mixing. I think it's just fucking straight up kerosene and honey. I mean, Freddie, at least, you know, put some lemon in there. He, I think some tang mix at one point. <laughs> yep. And, you know, he knew what he was doing. Philip Seymour Hoffman loved the shit. Yeah. And he would like, that's the thing. He would be like dancing and having a good time with these guys. They just, you know, they lose their faculties. Yeah. He's not making potions, Pattinson. He's just, he's just mixing whatever he has at hand. Um, did it occur to you that at some point, Robert Egger must have just told him, all right, you guys get drunk and do whatever you want and I'm going to shoot it? <laughs> Isn't that, uh, Apocalypse Now with Martin Sheen. Isn't that what happened in one of the scenes? He just got shit-faced and they just filmed him. <laughs> and now that's why Coppola can get him to do whatever he wants. <laughs> Pattinson, uh, Winslow stumbles across, or I guess Thomas, uh, stumbles across like a book that's charting his progress. He sees what uh, Wake has been writing about him and said he was going to refer him for um, severance without any pay, some shit like that. So he freaks out. This is where I said... We get the Oscar scene where he has a complete meltdown and just completely, you know, motherfucks wake. But he includes the line in it. God damn your farts. And it's just <laughs> what? I think Robert Eggers did it. He, he did it for the memes. I do love, though. Willem Dafoe hits him with something about like, you want to be a man, but you don't have the sauce for it. I was like, hell yeah. I don't I don't know how historically accurate that expression is at that point in time. But, but then they get into a fight. And he just beats the shit out of Willem Dafoe momentarily. The the octopus, the squid shows up and is strangling him. We see shots of the, the mermaid and the man he killed. Then Willem Dafoe turns into like a sea princess that has like a crown on. And he's just, you know, beating him. Almost he's going to kill. Him. I think he even says, you're killing me. Yep. And uh, so he backs off. And then instead of killing him, he turns him into a dog. You know, when we did um, with our film busters friends, we did. um Holy, Holy motors. motors. Yes, thank mm. you. And at the end of that, where it's revealed our main character just goes home and his family is literal apes, just monkeys. Uh, I think it was Paul that said, um, it's either Paul or Ben. It was like, it was Paul, Ben, or Adam. I don't want to attribute one and then leave <laughs> the other one out. They said, uh, yeah, of course that's how the movie ends. Of course he's you know married to a monkey. And that's kind of exactly, I had immediate flashbacks to that discussion because that was right here is like well of course now he's just a dog and he's walking him on a leash and he's like good boy and then throw, <laughs> throws him in a pit to bury him alive and we have our second homage to stepbrothers here where he's burying him in the backyard alive and then jumps in to take the keys from him because he wants to see the light uh, we think Defoe's dead because he's kind of motionless and doesn't appear to be breathing but then as, do you think? Uh, do you think the main reason they shot this movie in black and white is so that we couldn't tell that uh, what they're shoveling on top of Willem Dafoe is not dirt but delicious chocolate? I was gonna say it's just fucking Oreo crumbles. <laughs> I mean, it gets in his mouth more than once. 
pretty intense. But he uh, goes back. All the intensity and curiosity of this that has been built is immediately killed when he runs back in the house with an axe and goes, the light belongs to me. (laughs) And then, you know, to his credit, he actually does just stick the axe in Pattinson's arm. But Pattinson, you know, I think he Sparta kicks him, pulls the axe out, and then squelching, said the subtitles, when he just hits him in the head with the axe. So, How telling is it that Dafoe's death is nowhere near as graphic as the seagull's death? It's interesting. You would think with the way this movie's been built, you'd be expecting like the head stomping scene in Drive. Yep. Like something just like repulsively violent. And it's surprising that Pattinson stops so quickly. And then he goes up to the light and you know, breaks the fourth wall again. We're seeing from the perspective <laughs> of the light and he's like laughing and happy and then just starts screaming to the point of it being distorted and, you know, breaking the the waves. And then the light, I guess, rejects him and shoots him backwards and he falls circularly down the staircase. And then he's just naked and being eaten by seagulls. <laughs> I mean, where else could we go after this? <laughs> Again, it's that type of thing of it fades to black when he falls down the staircase and then he's naked with his face, you know, almost unrecognizable. His uh, it looks like his innards, his guts are open and being pecked out by the seagulls. And then we pan back and there, wherever he is, there is no lighthouse. So we, we zoom back and then a book closes and Robert Eggers goes, they're aristocrats. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I felt like um, I felt like I did when uh, fuck. What's that movie called? Drop Dead Fred was over. I was just like, (laughs) okay, wow, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean I have to act like it's great. So, (laughs) and for those of y'all who have listened to our Drop Dead Fred episode, that was just a similar feeling. I, it's a better movie than Drop Dead Fred, and I'm not gonna like completely rip it apart in the second (laughs) half like I did with Drop Dead Fred. All right. Well, I look forward to that. I have I have thoughts. I, I need to bounce off of you. Listeners, we'll see you in real talk. The light belongs to we, the contrarians. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing.